All right. Good morning, Wall of Life. It is good to be with you this morning. Everyone can hear me okay? Good. All right. So my name is Dylan, and I have the privilege of being married to this beautiful woman right here up front. Her name is Robin, um, and really, really, it is a privilege. The greatest years of Robin's life have been being married to me. And uh, you can ask her. It's a testament. She told me to say that, so that's okay. And so we've been married for about four and a half years. Um, we have come onto the eldership team with this church at Wall of Life, and Seriously, it has been the greatest joy of our life to be here at Well of Life, preaching the word, discipling, doing life with you guys. We do find it our greatest privilege. We seriously, seriously do. And this morning, as I bring the word to us, I do find great privilege and joy in doing so. But I believe that it's going to actually show us a new lifestyle and a way to live. If we can please just bring my voice down a little bit. So we have been in the book of Philippians for 15 weeks. Today, I think, is the 15th or the 16th week. My, I've had a lot of coffee this morning. I think it's the 15th week. And, uh, to, and then after this, we've got another six weeks left in the book of Philippians. And one thing is for sure. If you've been taking notes, you can write a thesis on the book of Philippians by the time we're done with this series. But it really has been spectacular. It's amazing to be able to slow down and work our way through the verses in a book of the Bible so that we could see the truths that God has for us literally in every verse. And today, as we dive into Philippians chapter 4, I believe that God is going to show us a new lifestyle to live. He's going to show us a new way that as Christians, there is a particular lifestyle that God intends for us to live. Now, if we turn our attention to my little box on the right over here, this is what we as humans call our happy box. If you guys can't see the sign, it's a little, it's a little happy box. And in it is the, the things or the places we go to try and obtain happiness or experience some sense of joy. It's the places we go to cope with life, the things that make us happy. It's like our go-to generally. And inside here, I've got some general things for us that kind of include all of us. But I know that you can think of some of the things that personally for you are your happy place, the things you go to to obtain some sense of happiness. But if we had to pull some things out of this box, the one place we go or the one thing we want to make us happy is money. We all want money. Money makes us happy. Money buys the things that we want. The second thing we find in our happy box is love. We all want love. Seriously, guys. <laughs> Hand me the box the right way next time, okay? No, it wasn't their fault. It's my fault. Anyway, but, but you see, you want love so badly, you could read it upside down. And there we go. Um, and we... We go to relationships to find some sense of happiness, some sense of joy. We, we want relationships, maybe not just romantic, but friendships and brotherly and sisterly relationships to give us some sense of meaning and happiness. What about this one? This one, personally for me, is a place where I go to experience some sense of happiness, is holidays, right? We all want our holidays as a place of happiness. I can't wait to put my toes in the sand in Thailand. I can't wait to be able to go there on this wine farm and do that. We put a lot of sense of, or we put a lot of hope and happiness in our holidays. And then our last one, which is really one for all of us, but a lot of the next generation, is we find a lot of happiness or meaning in social media. When we scroll, we find all the things that people want to tell us, right? 
We find the things we don't want to hear and we block and report those accounts because my Instagram should only tell me the things I want to hear, the things that make me happy. And we do, in a way, very much so, find a lot of, we try to find meaning and happiness in our social media. And you see, there's a lot of other things in that box as well. The place that we go to. It could be our family. Maybe your family is a place where you get happiness from. Maybe it's success. You're happy when you're successful. What about control? I made a joke earlier. I was told not to make that joke again, that sometimes in marriage someone can be controlling and we're not saying anything. Not you, baby. It's me. Okay. Made the joke without making the joke. But control can be a sense where we get happiness when we're in control. What about in my next dot, dot, dot gives me happiness? In my next purchase, I'll be happy. In my next paycheck, I'll be happy. In my next job, I'll be happy. When I escape this into the next season, I will be happy. And you see, there's many things we put inside this box, our human happy box, because it's the places we go to obtain a sense of happiness and fulfillment. And we go here because we try to get ourselves through tough times. We don't want to face reality. It's how we cope with life. And generally speaking, for all of us, it's our pursuit of happiness. It's the places we go to try and derive some meaning of life. But now the problem is, here, the big problem with this is it's all circumstantial. None of it's consistent. All of it changes. Nothing, none, nothing I mentioned in that box or in our happy box is consistent and will stay the same. When something goes wrong with our money, we're unhappy, 100%. When something goes wrong in our relationships, we become unhappy. When something goes wrong with your job or your children or your holiday plans, holiday plans, that's me, you lose your joy. What about for us, the younger adults or, the, or even the teenagers? When we can't go have these amazing lunches with our friends, when we can't go buy the new clothes that we really want, we lose our happiness. You see, living out of this happy box causes us to be like roller coasters when it comes to joy. Because money comes and goes, jobs don't work out the way we want them to, and relationships remind us of our flaws. When you're in a relationship, whether it's romantic or just a friendship, you're reminded that you suck from time to time, and that things don't work out the way you want them to. Living like this, we're impacted by our circumstances, and we become unstable. We're bouncing all over the place, like a bouncy ball thrown into a small room. And we are unstable when it comes to our happiness. Any of you ever felt like that? 100%. You see, the problem is we're looking in the wrong place. The book of Philippians is the most joyful book in the Bible. In it, we see that Paul uses the words rejoice and joy 16 times in 104 verses. And yet, we see that Paul is writing this joyful book, the most joyful book in the Bible, not from the pedicure palace, not from the suites in the Burj Khalifa, not from sitting on the Burj Al Arab beach with someone bringing him martinis. He's writing it from prison. Was that funny, my bad? Paul is surrounded by every possible obstacle to joy. Sitting in prison a place we would associate with misery and hopelessness and sadness and no hope. How is it 
that in the face of all these obstacles to joy, Paul can be so joyful. We're going to dive into Philippians 4 today. And like I said, I believe that God is going to show us that this isn't just a reality for Paul, but Paul is calling us to something that God has for all of us as believers. Let's read Philippians 4, verses 4 to 7. You can put it up on the screen. Thanks, Fred. Paul starts, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. What does it mean to rejoice? We can just read right past that and want to jump into not being filled with anxiety and have the peace of God, but we don't really know what it means to rejoice. To rejoice is to feel great joy and delight in something. We see it's also a verb. The word rejoice is not just something that happens spontaneously. To rejoice is a verb, meaning it needs action from an individual to fulfill its meaning. And so where are we to find this great joy and delight? Well, Paul tells us very easily, in the Lord. To rejoice in the Lord is to find great joy and delight in Him. Now we see why Paul is so able to have such joy while he's in prison, because he's finding his joy in the Lord. And how often can we have this joy, Paul? How often can I experience this great joy and delight in the Lord? He says, always. Paul says we must find great joy and delight in the Lord at all times. And I know what you're thinking. Seriously, Dylan, if you knew my life, if you knew the things I'm going through, if you know what's happened to me just in the last while, you're seriously telling me that I can experience true joy and delight in the Lord? Yes, I am saying that. Let's unpack this a little bit. We're going to see that the, poor, the, the joy that Paul calls for, the one he challenges us for, is not a happiness that is based on circumstances, but deep contentment that is only in the Lord, based on trust in God and therefore always available, even in difficult times. Paul's not saying something that he's not living out. He is in a difficult time that probably very few of us in this room have ever faced. And he's able to say, we can take heart and rejoice in the Lord at all times. He challenges the Philippians and us believers today to a particular lifestyle that we are to live out. He's saying there's one trademark, one trademark that if you live this out, it would be the lifestyle of a believer that God intends for you and that is to find your joy and great delight in the Lord at all times. We're going to pursue this this morning of rejoicing in the Lord but there's no doubt that there's times when it's tough and so we're going to look at three truths that we can hold on to whenever we feel like our joy is being compromised or our joy is being robbed from us. Number one, we find this truth that we can have joy in Jesus. He is the object of our joy. Let's look at Jesus for a moment. Early in Philippians, in chapter 2, verses 6 to 11, we see this is a preach that Saj actually did a while ago, and I really would encourage you to go and listen to it. It's on the ascension of Christ. But it encapsulates, or encapsulates, 
um, who Christ is and what he had come to do. In Philippians 2, 6, 11, we see that the Son of God left his heavenly throne and he humbles himself to come and die for the sins of mankind. That's you and me. And in, in doing so, God raises him from the dead so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And God highly exalts him to the name that is above every other name. Above every single superiority in your life, Jesus is the name above every other name. So that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord and worship him for all eternity. That is who Paul is saying we can have joy in. And rejoicing in Jesus means that the truth of who he is and what he has done, dying on the cross, raised to life, offering eternal life in his name, causes us to have joy in him. The truth of who Jesus is profoundly affects you and I and causes us to have joy in his name. And so rejoicing in the Lord is knowing him and embracing him as your Lord and Savior. You cannot help, but when you come to know Jesus and what he has done for you and who it is that has done that for you, you cannot help but let your heart treasure him above everything else. He gives a deeper and more lasting pleasure than anything this world has to offer. You're a little bit quick on the slides there. <laughs> what does it look like for Jesus to become the chief object of our joy? When I, was, when I got saved, it's almost 10 years ago. It's like nine years and a few months. I was, it was about two weeks before my 19th birthday. I was in university in this place called Stellenbosch in South Africa, and I didn't know Jesus, and I didn't care about Jesus. I really didn't want to know Jesus because I was partying, drinking, messing around with girls, taking drugs, and the chief object of my joy was playing rugby. Rugby was my Jesus. You put a rugby ball in my hand and someone to run into or get past. or that's, Like rugby was just the scene of my life. And that is kind of what my life was all about my first year after school. I just wanted to play rugby, and that's the thing that gave me such joy and such meaning. And one night, I go out, I get recklessly drunk with my friends, I wake up the next morning, and literally as I open my eyes, I just felt utterly empty, completely empty. And I couldn't understand why. And so I got on the carpet in that bedroom floor, and I said, God, I don't believe in you, but if you are real, will you show me why I feel so empty? And in that moment, I felt that God had revealed to me that everything I was basing my life in, this happy box, the girls, the rugby, the drugs, the alcohol, the partying, the successful career in rugby, all of that, it gave me joy for a moment. It gave me happiness for a moment. But it was all empty and it would constantly fade away. And then I felt that God had revealed himself to me and who Jesus is. And the moment he revealed himself to me, I'm not lying, I'm not fabricating this. In that moment, the desire for all those things evaporated in a moment. I got up, I said, God, you're real. And I'm going to follow you with the rest, for the rest of my life. I got on my little motorbike, 120cc, down the highway, like all the way down. And I got to the academy. I packed all my bags and everything that I had. You know, you don't have much when you're an 18-year-old living as a student, like a few books that you don't even read. And I put them inside this bag. And I looked like someone coming out of India on one of those bikes with like my whole house on the bike, you know. And I did not care 
what I was leaving behind. Because my heart had found the greatest treasure it could ever find is my relationship with the Lord. I come to know my Savior. And it gave me such joy. And I can guarantee you, I remember driving down the N1, which is the main highway towards, and I was just filled with such, do- such joy. Nothing in my life had, had ever compared to that. And nothing in my life up until now has ever compared to that moment when I had come to know Jesus. If you say you believe in Jesus, but he doesn't bring you joy, do you know him? Do you know him, friends? For Paul to say in Philippians 3, I count all as loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Nothing else matters compared to knowing Him. Rejoicing in the Lord means you know Him to be worth far more valuable than anything this world can dangle in front of your eyes. Once you come to know Jesus, there is a new song in our hearts that Jesus is the chief object of our joy. Everything else comes second. He takes first place. The only place in our heart where we receive joy is from Jesus. And for the Christian in the room who says that they know Jesus and they follow Jesus for years, but you don't experience great joy and delight in who he is, Friend, I want to ask you, do you know him? Is your heart misaligned? Saying you know Jesus on a Sunday, but for the rest of the week, you're diving into this happy box thinking that these things are going to bring you happy, make you happy, bring you happiness. I know that when Dylan's joy is aimed at pleasing me, I fall back into putting my hands into these earthly things that I think are going to bring me happiness. But when I'm realigned, my heart is aligned back onto Jesus, I experience true joy. It's almost like a, meet, like a needle on a meter. When the needle is on the other side, pointing towards what I think makes Dylan happy, all about me, I actually don't experience joy. I experience bitterness, I experience disappointments, I experience emptiness. But when, I, when the needle's pointing at Christ, when my eyes are focused on Him, and I'm reminded of who my Savior is, I experience that deep and profound and unending joy that only he can provide friends to rejoice in the lord is to find great joy and delight in who jesus is and what he has done second truth for us when it comes to how do we rejoice at all times number two we can rejoice because of what's to come not just what's happening right now but because of what's to come he is the reason for our joy The good news announcement, the gospel, that Jesus has defeated the power of sin and death is cause for celebration. It's cause for jumping up and down inside your heart and feeling great joy and delight because your salvation produces joy in you. In Philippians 18 verse 20, earlier, Paul says this, I will rejoice for I know that through your prayers and the help of Jesus Christ or the through the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Paul's speaking about being in prison. He's saying, I rejoice. I find great joy and delight in the Lord because through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, my imprisonment will turn out for my deliverance. Paul sounds psycho if we don't read the next verse. 
Why, Paul? It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul, amidst this rocky circumstance, something he doesn't really want to be in, none of us would say, take me to, take me to prison. Let me be locked up. That's not the song of every Christian's heart. I hope it's not, you know. But that's not the song of our hearts. Our hearts is the song of making Jesus known. But it's found Paul in prison. And in this rocky circumstance, in this place that he did not expect to be, he knows that he can overcome because the joy of the Lord is his strength. He belongs to Jesus Christ. And he knows he won't be put to shame on the last day. He knows that what to come, what's to come far outweighs his present reality. That this small moment is small and finite compared to the infinite eternity that is to come when you stand singing, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty in heaven for all eternity. This weekend, you might have noticed that Timothy Keller, he's a well-known Christian writer, a pastor of a church in New York called Redeemer, and he had passed away this weekend. He had gone to go be with the Lord. And he's been someone that, that really has done a lot of the Lord's service in, in New York, of leading those to Jesus and establishing a good church there. But he had passed away, and he was tight friends with John Piper. John Piper's a trusted theologian. And I came across this video yesterday of John Piper's response to, you know, what had happened with Tim, Timothy Keller going to go be with the Lord. And it can't help but fit so perfect and right with rejoicing in the Lord and where we find great joy and delight. Let's watch the video. Based on the final exchange by email that Tim Keller and I had, there's something I think he would want me to say to younger pastors, maybe younger everybody. We were reveling together in Luke chapter 10, verse 20, where Jesus responds to the 72 disciples as they return from their ministry and they are overjoyed that the demons are subject to them and Jesus responds do not rejoice that the spirits are subject to you rejoice in this that your names are written in heaven and Tim reminded me that Martin Lloyd-Jones found more comfort in that as he was dying than in any other text. My name is written in heaven. So here's what I think Tim would want me to say. By all means, do your biblical exegesis. By all means, do your cultural exegesis. By all means, preach the, the word of God with all your heart. By all means, love your church, care for the flock, but under all that, in all that, above all that, mm. be more thrilled that you are saved than that you are successful. Take more delight yeah. in the Savior than in his service. That's what I think Tim Keller would want me to say. Paul has this unwavering confidence in what's to come because his eternal trajectory, 
his name being written in the book of life. He has been saved by the blood of Jesus. Matters more than this insignificant small moment. And because his eyes are able to look beyond his circumstance, his perspective is shaped that he can have joy in what's to come. Not in the circumstance that's happening right now. And what we learn here, friends, is that our present struggles, the, the things we're going through right now, might be obstacles, but they are not walls that we can experience the joy of Christ in our life right now. Do you know if your name is written in the book of life? That's in scripture just to say, have you come to know Jesus and come to salvation in him? We can have joy even amidst these, play, these times because of what's to come. I don't want to rush on from there, but I have to. <laughs> Truth number three for us to hold on to, that we can rejoice in the Lord. We can find great joy and delight in who He is. And because of what's to come, and because of those two truths, it shows us that we can rejoice even though hard times come. Even though we face challenges to joy. The crazy thing that Paul says is not just rejoice in the Lord. We can agree with that. Yes, I rejoice in the Lord. But to rejoice in the Lord at all times, that's when the rubber hits the road. That's when the wheels have to begin turning for you to really experience what it means for the Lord's joy to be produced in us. You see, we are to praise God and give Him thanks, find great joy and delight in who He is in every situation. And you know, it's easy to praise God when things are going well. You know, when your exams, when you pass all your exams, hallelujah, Jesus, you are in control of my mind and you make me smart. I once was dumb, but now I'm, I can see. You know what I mean? It's easy to praise God when things are going well. But when things are going bad, our hallelujahs go out the window. You see, when things are good, you know, we get a salary increase. Amen, Lord, you are good and your love endures forever. You see, when rumors of promotion are coming, oh, Lord, blessed are the works of your hands. When you finally found a great guy today, it's, oh, King Jesus, wonderful are the works of your hands. What about when things go bad? Do we have the same response of giving thanks and praise to Him even when things go bad? I think we sound more like this. I just got a salary decrease. This company doesn't appreciate me. They're good for nothing. When we've just been let go from our jobs, we think, yeah, that's just what I expected. I'm not good enough to be in a job like this. God doesn't hear my prayers. God doesn't care about me. When things don't work out with the great guy or the great girl that we thought we'd get married to, we don't praise God for his holy name in those circumstances. Rather, we're filled with insecurity. And we think, oh, I'm not lovable. I could never be loved. I have no one that I would be able to love. And we lose hope in the Lord. And friends, what we need to know is that under the trials of life, when the circumstances come, when the challenges come, we can rejoice in those moments because of our eternal perspective. Being happy, clappy when things are going wrong is insensitive. I'm not saying when we lose loved ones or when things go bad, we should just rejoice. Yes, thank you for this circumstance, Lord God. It makes me so happy. I think we would be ignorant and stupid and silly to, to think that way. Because it's not about ignoring 
what we're going through. It's not about putting aside the feelings and the emotions, but it's not being led by our feelings and emotions. It's being led by that active decision to rejoice in the Lord. We've established that rejoicing is a verb. It requires action for an individual to live it out. It's something we do. It's a decision we have to make. And I've put it into these words so that we can remember this, so that when circumstances and even though moments come our way, we can recite this. This is what it means. Rejoicing is actively deciding to give God praise and thanks in all circumstances for who He is. We've always thought, I think, rejoicing is thanking God for the circumstance. And then we misunderstand James 1.3. For it is a joy, count it all a joy, when you face trials of various kinds, because the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Not thanking for the circumstance, thanking for what God is doing in the circumstance. Praising Him for who He is amidst the circumstances that we are going through. Rejoicing is actively deciding to give God praise that is due Him, even though we are in circumstances we don't want to be in. And you see, when we make the decision to look to Jesus and praise Him and find great joy and delight who He is in our circumstances, in return, we experience the fruits of the Holy Spirit, which is joy. Galatians 5 comes to life inside of us. These, the words in the book of the Bible are not just words, but it's, it comes to life inside of us. Guys, it's truth that not based on how we feel, but actively deciding to give God praise for who He is at all times, the Holy Spirit produces the fruit of joy in our life. Deciding to give God praise. When we do that, the Holy Spirit who lives in you bears and produces this fruit of joy, causing you to delight in Christ, not in your circumstance. The Holy Spirit empowers us to experience joy in Christ when we actively choose to find our joy in the Lord and not in our circumstances. You see, you might have heard it before, but when we look at Scripture, the Holy Spirit is attached to the name and fame of Jesus. Where the name of Jesus is being lifted up, there the Holy Spirit comes. He's attracted to the name of Jesus. And I wonder, in your challenges that you're facing, in the, the negative mental attitudes that we have, the situations we find ourselves in that we haven't been able to overcome, could it be that when we begin to proclaim the name of Jesus in those moments, giving thanks for who He is, the Holy Spirit will come and begin to bear this fruit of joy in us and we'll be able to see the world differently. Right? I totally believe that when we proclaim the name of Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and He produces the fruit of joy in our life. It can be so easy to think, all right, cool, I've got to be a robot. So when tough times come, even though the ship is coming right at me and I'm about to die, I'm ignoring that and I'm just saying, Jesus, you saved me, you saved me, you saved me, you saved me. It's not about ignoring the reality. It's okay to be human. It's okay to vent. When we read the book of Job, when we read the book of Habakkuk, we see that these are men who, whatever was going on inside, they were venting that to God. But we see the end. They didn't let it lead what they did. We're not being fake by rejoicing in the Lord at all times. It's real to say that we don't enjoy the circumstance. It's real to say, I wish no one would be in this situation. God, please let this cup pass from me. It's okay to talk to God and say, God, this is what I'm feeling. This is where I'm at. We don't ignore our emotions. We don't ignore our feelings, but we're not led by them. 
We're led by our active decision to rejoice in the Lord and praise His name in every circumstance. So friends, be open with God about what you're feeling and thinking, but make sure your heart looks up and not down at the circumstance. God, the situation isn't fun. I'm not sure how I'm going to get through it, but I know that you are always with me. The scriptures say, Lord God, that the joy of the Lord is my strength. And I call on you right now, God, because I have no strength. Jesus, I look to you, the one who is able to overcome, the one who overcame sin and death and the grave. What is the situation that you cannot deliver me from this moment? And we turn our hearts to look up. I praise you because you are bigger than my situation. And I delight in who you are, Lord God. You see, the joy of the Lord is like a thermostat and not a thermometer. If we look at that illustration, a thermometer is, it, is, it registers conditions. And our happiness is related to a thermometer. When things are going well, we're good. When things are going bad, we're down. And the cause of our happiness is really, is really affected by the circumstances that are around us. Thermostat, though, it controls conditions. And our joy should be a thermostat. Jesus is constant as Hebrews 13 as Hebrews 13 tells us. And because he is our thermostat that never changes, we can have a joy that never changes. No matter what the outside looks like, the thermostat, our joy in the Lord, sets the temperature that's around us. What most of us need to learn to do is to practice the presence of God in our daily life. Hebrews 13 goes on to say that in no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in, God is always there. And friends, I believe that God is, he's a a truth teller. God doesn't lie. And so if he says he's always there, I can find great joy and delight that no matter what the circumstance looks like, even if it feels quiet, even if things aren't going the way I want them to go, God, I know that you're with me. I know that you never, ever change. And so cause my heart to take delight in you. And when that happens, what we see on the outside, the way we see it, completely changes. And our hearts are filled with joy and hope and faith in Christ. Be the thermostat. Don't be the the thermometer, the the bouncy ball all over the room. One story I love in particular, Sahara and I have been chatting about this the whole week, is uh, Acts 16. It's basically when the Philippians church was, we can trace it back and we think this is where it all started. But in Acts 16, Paul and Silas are thrown into prison. And what happens in this moment, if we can put up the next slide, please read the, the one with this story, is at this moment, what had happened before we read that, just to give you some context, Paul and Silas are going about doing the Lord's service and they are proclaiming the name of Jesus. People have told them to shut up and to stop talking about Jesus and they're not stopping. And what happens is a lady is annoying Paul. She's, she's filled with an evil spirit. And it literally says Paul was irritated. So it's okay to get irritated. And Paul says to her, I command you in the name of Jesus, come out of her. She's healed in that moment. The people don't like that. And then this is what happens when basically Paul and Silas would not shut up about Jesus. And they went on doing the things that Jesus had told them to do. From verse 20. When they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. This is crazy. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. That's not part of the plan, Lord. You never told me I'd be beaten with rods. 
for healing someone. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into prison and he fastened their feet in the stocks. Just before we go on to the next verse, imagine what you and I would be like in that moment. I can guarantee you, I I wouldn't be holy. (laughs) I would sit there with my feet fastened. I'd look at Silas and say, dude, what the heck? This was never part of the plan. Jesus, everything you said is good. Why are we being beaten many times? Why have my clothes been torn off of me? Why am I being ashamed and humiliated? Why am I receiving blow after blow after blow after blow after blow? And yeah, I land up in prison for you, Lord God. Are you serious? Where have you been? And I can guarantee you that would probably be what my response would be. I'd be disappointed, fed up. God, this wasn't a part of the plan. And I don't know about you, but in your life, maybe you've got to a point where you thought, God, this wasn't a part of the plan. I'm fed up, Lord. I'm waiting for you to come. I've been obedient. I've been following you. I've been doing what you tell me to do. And this is where I land up. What is our response in those moments? Do we rejoice and give praise to his holy name? Or do we allow our flesh to overtake us because we've misaligned our hearts with what's eternally important? This is what Paul says, or what the, what the Acts says in the next slide. It says, at about midnight, remember, beaten, mocked, beaten many times, clothes torn off, feet have been fastened together, and this is their response. Hey, Silas, let's sing to the Lord. Hey, Silas, let's pray and give God glory due His holy name. Silas, I know we don't feel like it. Paul, I know you've been beaten many times. But we're going to pray together. We're going to stand together. We're going to call on the name of the Lord. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. When we rejoice, people are listening to us rejoice in the name of the Lord. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When you rejoice in the name of the Lord and not in your circumstance, I believe that God supernaturally comes and He breaks the bonds that are on us. He breaks the negative mindsets we have. When I was preparing this, I felt so strongly that God wanted to set people free from negative mindsets. And it's as simple as begin proclaiming the name of the Lord Jesus in your life in every circumstance, especially when you don't feel like it. We can be honest, Paul and Silas probably didn't feel like it. But they chose to do the rejoice, which is, I know, the discipline of rejoicing in the name of the Lord over how I feel right now. Friend, if you don't have any joy, is Jesus real to you? Doesn't matter how sick you may be. Doesn't matter what chains you may be in. Doesn't matter the agony you find yourself in. Jesus is always there. There is always cause for joy. You can set the thermostat. You with the rejoicing inside of you to find joy and delight in His holy name can change the atmosphere around you. Psalm 1611 says, In your presence there is fullness of joy. Are you aware of the Lord's presence in your life? Paul didn't allow the circumstance to be to set his thermostat. He said, Yo, you can lock me in, but you're not locking Jesus out. Jesus is here with me. He never changes. Rejoicing is the antidote to our negative mindsets. 
about a year after I got saved. I thought it was three years, but it's actually about a year. The, uh, the, the, the bank had phoned me. And they said to me, hey, Dylan, Mr. Famielen, we know you're not studying anymore. And so that 108,000 rand that we gave you to go and study, like we need it back. And I have no idea. It should be illegal that they allow young people to sign for so much money in one go. But honestly, it was the biggest mountain in front of me. I thought, how am I going to do this? And so through some, some job offers and all that sort of stuff, I became a waiter. I was doing sports coaching. I was working for um, the dad who had adopted me. And it just wasn't an enjoyable time of life, I can guarantee you. I wasn't doing the things I wanted to do, but I had to do what was required right now to be able to pay back that money. It's around 20,000 dirham or 15,000 dirham, which in South Africa for an 18-year-old when you got nothing, whoo, cash is king, baby. It's a lot of money. And I thought, there's no way I'm going to be able to overcome this. And so through the diligence of finding a job, I began to pay it back slowly, 3,011 rand every single month. And I remember about six months in, I met with my brother um, for lunch. He ate. I couldn't eat because I was paying back a loan, you know. So, and he wouldn't even buy me lunch, swine. And so, and so we sit in there, and my brother's like, what's going on with you? What's, like, I can see, it feels like, and he literally said, I feel like your joy's gone. And I said, dude, to be honest with you, I'm just, my head's in the mud right now. I'm trying to pay back this loan. It, it doesn't feel like God's got my back here, and I'm, I'm just feeling a little bit, like, overthrown by my circumstances. And he put his knife and fork down, and he looked at me, and he said, do the heart of what God has for you is not to be led by your circumstances. He showed me what it meant to find my joy in the Lord and not in the things or the places that I was in. About two years later, the bank phoned me and told me that it had been, it had been paid, it had been completely done. Someone had deposited the rest of the money and God had taken care of it. But that's not the point. The point is that in the middle of the circumstances, they might not change. But when you begin to turn your heart to seeing who Jesus is and proclaiming his name, the way you see the circumstance changes. The joy of the Lord in you begins to be positive and you are able to look to him, what he's doing amidst those things. I've never been in debt again in my life. Other than, I mean, we've got house debt, but that's good debt, investment. And I just believe that when we actually call upon the name of the Lord and turn our eyes to see what He's doing, who He is, it gives us cause for great joy because we know who is the one that's ultimately in control. If you want to have a good mental attitude, find your joy in Jesus, not in your circumstances. Elevate, I'm looking at you right now, and I'm telling you guys, if you, can, if you live your life based off circumstances, you're going to be like a leaf tossed in the wind. God doesn't have an intention for you at all to be, lived, to be led by your circumstances. Focus on Jesus. Know Him more. As you hold on to His holy name and He becomes your treasure, you'll see the joy of the Lord, which will be your strength, will be your constant throughout your entire life. I love you guys. Our circumstances change, but He never changes. You can never shut Jesus out of your situation. We can rejoice in the Lord always because He is with us. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Friends, He is with you all the time. Now that we've unpacked verse 4, we can look at the rest. But we're not going to spend so much time. Otherwise, you're going to leave here and go do your lunch plans. Okay, so verse 4, we've seen that to rejoice in the Lord is to find great joy and delight in who He is, even through my circumstances. Even though challenges come and go, even though it's hard through times, even though we can rejoice in the Lord. Now, when we learn what it means to rejoice and find great joy in the Lord, we can read and apply verses 5, 6, and 7. So when you rejoice in the Lord, 
Again I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. To be able to overcome anxiety and not be ruled by worry is to first find your joy in the Lord. To experience the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. And what that means is God gives you a peace in that moment that even though the walls are coming down, Jesus is standing holding everything together. Jesus is the one that when we find our joy in Him, we can experience the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. What Paul teaches us here, and this is what I said in the beginning, is that to rejoice in the Lord should be the lifestyle of every believer. It should be the trademark that when people look at us, like the jailers heard Paul and Silas singing in prison, they hear us proclaiming the name of God. And I believe it's the trademark of a believer. Someone who knows Jesus is joyful. Someone who has come to know his love and how he has died on the cross and saved you and set you free. That song that was singing earlier, the joy of the Lord has, set, has changed our life. The death of the cross has saved our lives and given us joy in Christ. Why don't I welcome the band up, please? We'll ask the band to come up. We're going to end with a song. And my friends, I feel like the only appropriate response for us today is a joyful response. I do believe that, that there may be some of you in the room today, you don't know that your name's been written in the book of life. You don't know who Jesus is. You might have heard about him, but you haven't experienced this joy. And I want to invite you to come up and know myself, Sahara Sajj, and our wives and the ministry team will be up here and we'd love to pray with you. But why don't you stand with me? And we're just going to read this thing um, that I just want to end off. It's from the book of Habakkuk. Now, Habakkuk was a prophet in the Bible. It's a very short little book, but it's a very powerful little story. And what happens is Habakkuk is pleading to God. He's saying, God, the Babylonians are coming and they are going to come and wreck us. They're going to overtake us. They're coming to kill us. And he starts to tell God what God should be doing, how God should help the situation. And through this, these three chapters of back and forth between him and God, he comes to see the sovereignty of God. He comes to see that even though the situation, I can't understand it, even though the situation seems terrible, I come to know that the Lord God is sovereign. I can find great joy in who He is and not in my circumstance. This is what he says in the book of Habakkuk. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes in the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, even though my marriage isn't going well, even though my finances are horrible, even though we've lost a loved one, even though, even though, even though, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. No matter where you're at, friend, you can be joyful in the God of your salvation. Let's sing to Him.